Christopher Elliott wrote this in the USA Today paper a couple years ago. He said, safety first may be the American travel industry's unofficial slogan, but for some travelers, it's more like me first. That's never been more apparent than now during the dog days of summer when passengers struggle to find a little comfort in their overcrowded hotels and uncomfortable flights. And when they don't get it, watch out. Stephen Ritchie, who works for a research firm in Indianapolis, remembers a recent flight that was diverted because someone on board suffered a severe asthma attack. After making the unexpected landing, an irate passenger made a beeline toward the flight attendants treating the sick passenger and demanded they take off immediately. This is ruining my vacation, screamed the passenger. When she refused to return to her seat, she was expelled from the flight. Richie recalls the best part of it all was cheering as she was escorted off, still cursing and resisting, despite being handcuffed after spitting in the face of one of the officers. It's me first wall day. We've worked through some of these other things, again, recapping from where we've been in this seven-day shout series, kind of taking that concept of the Israelites marching around Jericho and the walls that God brought down that Israel thought were too big, and how that happened. And if you and I march around a problem... In our lives, well, I don't, I don't walk much. That's okay. We're not talking about physical labor here. I'm talking about mentally, spiritually, prayerfully marching around these Jerichos in our lives, these Jerichos of pride, of anger, of control, of sadness, of selfishness, insecurity, and division. Good news for you guys. We're more than halfway done through this series now. Woo! Home stretch. It's a big one today, though. Because today we're, we're looking up just like the Israelites did, probably that 70-foot wall at Jericho. And it's a big wall, that Jericho for us today. It's the wall of selfishness. In the NIV, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, you don't have to turn there. It says, an unfriendly person pursues, guess what the word is? Selfish ends, and against all sound judgment, starts quarrels. Sound like anybody you know? Yeah, we all know that other person, right? Not me. <laughs> Not me. Them. Them. If you got your Bibles, turn with me. The book of James is where we're going to start off this morning. Book of James, chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 13 is where we're going to start. James, chapter 3, verse 13. New Testament, pretty near the back. So turn to the end and keep turning pages back until you find James, chapter 3. He writes, Who is wise? And understanding among you, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, what's that word there? Selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, this selfish ambition, right? But is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Pretty tough words, right? Verse 16, for where jealousy and there's that word again, selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Pause real quick here because selfishness is the first step of a journey that leads to hundreds of other wrongdoings, hundreds of other sins. You get that? Selfishness is the key that unlocks a door to Pandora's box that you don't want to go down. Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge because their selves, right, wanted the knowledge. 
Jonah resisted God like we talked about a couple weeks ago because he wanted to do what he wanted to do. Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus because he wanted 30 pieces of silver. We get the picture, right? Selfishness, where that is, there's going to be disorder and every vile practice. This is why this wall is so important for us today. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So now we're going to be bouncing from one scripture right into another one. I know uh, we've we got two main scriptures I want us to look at today. That was just to kind of set the tone so that we understand biblically this selfishness is a wall like a domino. And when that wall comes tumbling down, just like it unlocks other bad things, guess what? It can also set us free as that wall comes down, domino effect, domino effect, domino effect. You may be the person who, through this series so far, you're like, I feel pretty good so far. It's been a little convicting. I felt a little uncomfortable, and that's okay. But mostly, I, maybe I've been okay. I've learned a couple of things. But maybe you finally got to this point where, like, this one might hit between the eyes. Because if you've got a selfish problem, you've got a whole bunch of other problems. And if this wall comes down for you, and if you need this wall to come down for you today, this freedom through Jesus Christ can also grant a lot more freedoms when this wall comes down. It's a huge wall. It's a huge wall. So turn with me to the book of Acts. Book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We got Acts right there after the four Gospels, still in the New Testament. Acts, we're going to be chapter 5. And I'll go ahead and start reading. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So he kept back for him what? He kept back for him what? Self. He kept back, okay. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie and the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, why was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, because remember, they were in cahoots together. And Peter said to her, you know, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. They waiting on you, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now this is the early church. This is chapter 5 in Acts. This is barely scratching the surface of the early church. This is after Pentecost. 
and the tongues of fire have come down, and they've, they've lain on the disciples, and the Holy Spirit was there, and they were speaking a whole bunch of different languages about Jesus Christ to a whole bunch of different people. This is after we read in Acts chapter 2, and they have the church, and if you remember what, thousands were added to their number daily. Mind-blowing. How fast, how large, how quickly... This early church was growing. This is after Peter and John have testified to the council. This is after the believers had this utopia of a short couple paragraphs we read of where they shared everything in common and supported each other. Right? This is after all of that. And suddenly out of all of that comes this story. It actually doesn't say how. How they knew that Ananias and Sapphira were lying. Had to be from the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit will convict selfishness wherever it's going to be found. Here's our first point from this morning. We learn from Ananias and Sapphira about this wall of selfishness. Selfishness hides. It hides in two different ways. First of all, it hides within you as a person. It, it's in there and it can be in there and you don't even realize it because you've got blinders to yourself, right? And other people can notice it in you. So it hides within you as a person, but it also hides things from others. Selfishness hides the best piece of cake Ooh, the best piece of cake, that Publix cake with the most frosting. It's like the corner piece. And like, ooh, look at that. Ooh, look, I'm going to cut that piece off first for me. I'm going to set that aside. And y'all can have the rest of the cake because I got my piece. And it's like marble, chocolate, vanilla, all rolled up together. Yum, tasty. And this is my piece, my piece, right? And we turn it to Smigor, right? Mine, you know, my precious, you know, we just hold this piece of cake. We wait for it, right? Selfishness hides the new toy, so that only you can play with it. And that's not just for kids. As we get older, there's just bigger and more expensive toys. They only come around, you know, Christmas and birthdays. They don't happen all the time, but they're bigger and more expensive. Like, I don't want you to drive my car. Selfishness hides your favorite food in the fridge so that your wife, so that your kids, so that your husband won't eat it, right? Selfishness hides money away that you won't ever use or you won't ever need, and it can make a difference. Selfishness hides resources from others in this me-first mentality. Things that could make a difference, right? And, the, and selfishness is such a huge problem in our world. You guys know that, like, what is it, the top 1.5 where 1.5% of the population owns, what is it, 92% of the wealth of the planet? It's mind-blowing. Does 1.5% of the population need 92% or something like that of the wealth? No. What are you going to do with 18 Lamborghinis? I don't know. You can only drive one at one time. Now, I know we're all running around in 18 Lamborghinis. You're like, yip, 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 yip. which one am I going to drive today? I don't know, the red one, the blue one. I know a lot of us don't have those problems to that scale doesn't mean the problem though smaller isn't still as big of a deal second point about selfishness selfishness is a wall in your life when your first thought 
is of yourself. Well, that's what selfishness is, right? Uh, I get it. I think of myself first. No, no, no. We don't get it. Selfishness is a wall in your life when your very first thought, not just in the morning when you wake up, but in every single situation here and there throughout your day is of you first. And the advent of social media has increased this self mentality, right? A million more times than before because there's millions of people who suddenly want to put their self out there. And it's got to be a good picture. And if I'm ugly, it's got to be photoshopped, right? Or I have some app that makes me look better, chick, chick, right? So that, my, so that myself, my best self is represented out there to the, now yes, 2 billion users on Facebook. Did you guys get that little thing if you've logged on in the last week or so? They celebrated with us, Facebook users unite, I guess. Hooray, there's now more than 2 billion, billion with a B of you. That's a lot of selves who are focusing on their selves, putting small self pictures there and talking about what their self is eating for dinner and taking pictures of what their self is eating for dinner. There's a lot of self out there, right? Do you guys remember the days, what they were like? Kids, you won't even know what I'm talking about. But do you remember the days when no one knew what you looked like unless they knew you? <laughs> I mean, do we think about that? Oh, hey, who's Bill? I don't know Bill. Describe him. Well, he's got glasses, and I don't know. Maybe you'll just have to meet him. Instead of logging on Facebook and seeing what that person looks like, seeing that self that's out there. <laughs> it's craziness. The self that is out there. And selfishness can become a wall in your life when your first thought is of yourself. What am I going to post on Facebook? What am I going to do today? What is my schedule for the day when I wake up? What do I have to do? What do I want to do? What do I need to get done? Instead of these questions, what can I do for my husband or wife today? Man, I feel at that more often than you can count. But imagine when we ask our question that way, when we start our day off with that question, how different our relationships could be, right? Oh, here's my agenda for today. And we pull out our calendar, right? Our iCal, the first thing we do is we check our cell phone. Has anyone messaged me? Has anyone emailed me? We get that little hit of dopamine. Pops in there and gives us a good feeling, right? What if we got up and said, what am I going to do for somebody else today? What if we woke up every morning and said, what do my kids need before I feed myself? What, what is going on? What if we woke up and said, what does God require of me today? What if we woke up and said, whose life can I impact for Christ today? These are life-changing questions here. When you ache up and you ask yourself questions like this, your life changes. Turn with me to the book of Matthew for our second story this morning. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. You're going to maybe want to keep a marker there or hold your finger because we're going to be coming back to it later. But Matthew chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 20. So 2020 like our vision. Here we go. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, Jesus, who was on his way to Jerusalem with his disciples, with her sons. Her sons, by the way, are James and John. Um, see, actually in Mark chapter 3, fun fact, I know Tony likes fun fact, fun fact, you know, James and John, Jesus actually gave them nicknames. He called them the sons of thunder. So you could probably imagine that these fishermen, these gruff fishermen, 
who are now his disciples, who are nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, have some pretty gruff, rough personalities, right? Pretty rough around the edges. They would just want their first reaction is, what, what can we do? There's, there's a later passage, I believe it's still in Mark, I think it's somewhere around chapter 10, where someone has said something to, to Jesus about, you know, being, they're, they're on their way in between Samaria and on their way to Jerusalem, and there's some tension there, and, and James and John's first thing that they want to say is, can we rain fire down on them? That's the very first thing they say. So you know that, that, that James and John, these sons of thunder, are pretty like strong. Let's just beat them up. I'll ask questions later. Let's just go get this thing done. So these are the sons of Zebedee. And the mother came up, and she's the mother of these sons. So I just want you to think about this really quickly. Imagine what the mom is like. <laughs> you know, you know that some of the people I'm talking about who are just rough and gruff around the edges, and they usually have a mom who is what? Ten times as worse. Like, if you know the son, avoid the mother, right? And so this mother the, of the sons of thunder, right, comes up to Jesus and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, um, Jesus, just say, just say that these two sons of mine are to sit, um, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. In other words, I want them to be elevated to a very, very high status. Because if you're the king of this kingdom, this world and this spiritual realm or whatever, Jesus, I don't really understand. You're trying to set up here and blind people are healed and that's cool and people are fed and that's cool. But my sons, let's talk about them. When you're the king of this kingdom and this actually comes to pass, you got two seats, right? One to your right, one to your left. My sons, sons of thunder. Imagine what that would look like, Jesus. Jesus and the sons of thunder. da 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 like, Imagine what that would look like if one of my sons is to your right and one of my sons is to your left. What we find out is when we dive into a little bit of the history of the time is that what she's asking is actually completely irrelevant to her son's status. It has everything to do with her status because women at the time were not allowed to, to do things like buy property or, or work and do the same things that the guys were to do. And the only way a woman could have a good life is if she was, had a husband or sons who were very wealthy and good to do. She was better off and had higher status. So you see what she's asking here? has nothing to do with her sons, has everything to say, if one's on your left and one's on your right, where am I gonna be? I'm the mom of these sons of thunders. Yeah. Look at them. They're on the other side of each side of this kingdom thing set up here with Jesus up there on that throne thing. Yep, yep, here I am. <sighs> Feels good. Feels good to be rich. Mom of the sons of thunder. Jesus answered, verse 22, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. They didn't know. They're not. He said to him, You'll drink my cup. Sure. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten, the other disciples, because now she's alienated her two sons to try to get them to be better than the other ten, Right? because she stepped in there and been that dance mom in this situation, right? <laughs> and when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them in to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. 
it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your, what? Servant. And whomever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's a third thing we learn about selfishness today. Selfishness ruins relationships. Selfishness ruins relationships. No relationship has ever worked out because both people were selfish. If you're married, you know this. If you're dating, you're learning this. If you're younger than that, hopefully you're listening to this. Selfishness ruins relationships. God was already selfless for us when He sent His one and only Son to earth who grew up as a man and willingly died on a cross for you and for me. God has already been selfless in our situation. In the exchange of life that you and I have an opportunity to live, where each of us has an opportunity also to choose to recognize Jesus or to not recognize Jesus in our lives. The response is now up to us to be selfish or not in return, right? Because if you know Jesus, then you should know that this is the most important relationship you have. And what does selfishness do? Selfishness ruins relationships. You see, having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is not enough. That's an ambiguous term we tend to hide behind as Christians anyway, if we're honest, right? I've got, I just got, to, just got my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, I just like to keep it. I just talk about it with myself to nobody. It's my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know what? Satan has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not a good one. You see, it's how we respond to God's selflessness that determines our outcome. Selfishness ruins relationships. It will ruin your marriages. It will ruin your dating life. It will ruin any relationship that you have. And we see this played out in Scripture right here. When one person's selfishness, the mom of the disciples now, gets involved, wants her sons to be elevated so that her selfishness, she can be elevated. And what does it do? It ruins relationships that she didn't even have. It ruined the relationships that the disciples had with the other two. The ten were like, what is going on here? Suddenly, what is this, teacher's pet hour over here? Come on. I've fished with them. I've walked with you. I've seen you heal people. I've done everything that they have. Why do they get to be special? One on your right, one on your left. You're just like, that's not what we're talking about. That lady's selfishness invaded and destroyed, broke down those relationships. The writer Charles Colson in his book Against the Night writes this, according to sociologist Robert Bella, 81% of the American people also say that they agree that an individual should arrive at his or her own religious beliefs independent of any church or synagogue. Let's time out really quick. Do you realize how stupid that sounds for a second? That's like asking kids to, well, you can go to school, but what you learn is going to be independent of which classes you go to. We just want you to discover chemistry. Experience physics. 
It makes no sense when you view it that way, right? We want people to develop their, their own faith independent of anyone else's faith. That's not how this works. But 81% of the American people say they agree with that. Thus, the key to the paradox, he goes on, is the fact that those who claim to be Christians are arriving at faith on their own terms. Me terms. Terms that make no demands on behavior. It's easy. A woman named Sheila, interviewed for this report uh, by Robert Bella, embodies this attitude. She said, I believe in God. I can't remember the last time I went to church, but my faith has carried me along the way. It's Sheilaism. It's my own little voice. These are real people with real lives, with real eternities. Don't know where. Because Sheilaism won't get you there. Joshism won't get me there. Fill in your blank name. It will not get you there. A little voice, a little conscious thing, that's not what we're talking about today. Selfishness will ruin relationships and it will destroy the relationship you have with God. You cannot be selfish and be following Christ at the same time. Yes, that's a bold statement. And yes, it's true. Like every week we're talking about another side of this wall. God's perspective, again, because like this analogy we had that very first week, I'm not going to bring it down here, but I can bump up against this wall all day long and try to knock down by my own way, by my own power, by my own will, pride. I can try to take down anger. I can try to take down control and all that kind of stuff. I can get this. I can get this. What we're talking about today just lays that all out. It's selfishness. And on the other side of this wall, all it takes is a flick. And that wall came down, if you remember, from our second week. That's God's perspective of the wall. And on the other side of this wall, I was thinking a lot about it this week. Our, just like last week, we, we, we probably jumped to the after the wall of sadness is probably what? Joy, right? Joy is the answer. Well, joy wasn't the answer. If you remember, it was peace is the other side of the wall. And when we're talking about selfishness today, probably we're going to jump to the conclusion, well, it's selflessness. I've been thinking and praying a lot about this week, and I don't believe it is either. It's not selflessness. It's actually this word called servanthood. We're going to go a little bit deeper than that too here in just a second. You see, selflessness simply says, I won't do what I want to do. That's where selflessness stops. But servanthood says, you know what, I won't do what I want to do, and I will do what you want me to it takes it just that step further. Selflessness simply says, well, I won't do what I want. Servanthood says, I won't do what I want and I'll do what you want or what you require. Turn with me to the book of Philippians. Hopefully you can still keep your finger there in, in Matthew 20. But the book of Philippians, chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read this, starting in... Verse 1 through 11. It's Paul and Timothy writing to the church in Philippi. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's just a little bit, 
If there's any comfort from love, if there's just any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection and sympathy, just a little bit of it in you, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from, what? Selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, because you know there's stuff going on, we get that. But don't look just to your own interests, but also have the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Say that together. Servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. The worst kind of death. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and you know what, even under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if you and I are going to take this just a step further and examine the root word of this servant or servanthood, this Greek word doulos, which is used more than 130 times in the New Testament, actually translates as slave. Slave. Webster's Dictionary lists the definition of slave as, first, a person who is the property of and wholly subject to another a person entirely under the domination of some influence or person. We don't like slavery, right? Slavery is a bad thing. And slavery is all over this Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament from other people who are in slavery and other people in bondage. Like, Jesus, slavery is such a bad thing. Why don't you talk about slavery? Because Jesus knew that slavery, whether or not someone is physically bound, has no bearing on if they are spiritually free. It's also the most powerful illustration there is of what living a Christ-like life looks like. Slave, a person who is the property of and wholly subject to another. Are you his today? Is Jesus over your life? Or someone or something else? Because if it's bills to pay, or if it's your you time on Xbox or watching Netflix... Or if it's your you time out there fishing or shooting or hunting or whatever it is that you like to do or shopping. It's not going to work. If anything else is above Jesus Christ, your priorities are in the wrong order. And then if anyone else is below you, your priorities are in the wrong order. I'm going to flip back to Matthew chapter 20 if you've kept your fingers there. Jesus called to them, verse 25, and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it's not going to be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And 
to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus did give his life as a ransom for you, as a ransom for me. He showed and lived out and died what it looked like to be a servant for someone else. To say, you know what, your will be done, God, not my own. Because this cup that I'm about to drink, he was talking about being crucified on the cross when he's praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, I don't want to do this. I know what a cross looks like. I've grown up in Jerusalem. I've seen the Roman rule. I've seen what crucifixions look like. And they are painful. And these people don't come back down. That's a one-way trip. But God, if you want me to do that for these people, all of these people, even the two billion people who one day, 2,000 years from now, will be taking selfies on sticks specifically made for that purpose on Facebook, even them, yes, Jesus, I'm going to die for And even the person who wants these sons elevated to a higher status so that she can have a higher status, who we just talked about five minutes ago, yeah, even her, yeah, mom of sons of thunder, yeah, we get it, we're going to die for her too. And you and me with all of our selfish problems and our selfish wants and our selfish desires, he showed, I'm going to give them the best example I can to be a servant. You know what? Not just a servant because that's great. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be the slave. I'm going to die to set you free. And if you know, again, the history that comes out of this, if someone died for you in the old times, you owed them a life debt. And you had to live your life for them in return. That's this exchange this morning. We've got a table here as we're going to celebrate communion in a few minutes where some simple bread and some simple grape juice is going to, once again, just represent what Jesus told us to do in remembrance of him every time we gather together. And I just really hope and I, I pray that in this time this morning that you and I, as we come up, as we, as we approach this table, as we have this bread and we drink this cup and we share this moment together, that this wall of selfishness, however big or however small in your life, can come down because we've all got a problem in this area. There's not one of us who is exempt from this. There's all areas that we can grow and get better. And as these walls come down, you and I experience the freedom that makes sense that can be found in being a servant to Jesus Christ. Slave person who is the property of and wholly subject to another, a person entirely under the domination of some influence or person. I want that person for me to be Jesus Christ. I want that person for you to be Jesus Christ because he loved us enough to die and give his life up as a ransom for many like we read in Matthew.